All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Can you see it? Did you know The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, at arm's length. To the line, Hughes, scores! Yes, existence, take you to the sun. First career NHL goal, Quinn Hughes makes it 1-0. Here, like I don't, I will cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and Valentine's Day. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores. Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversations brought to you by the amazing folks at Zephyr Epic. My name is David Quadrelli, and as always, I am joined by the man himself, the man who built the place, Chris Faber. What's up, dude? 
back in the same room here for the first episode in a long time. Yeah. We just did a Patreon episode the other day, but it's good to be back. And the other thing, when we record this, we always we listen to the intro because we just keep it on the recording. Saves us some editing time later. And I just noticed at the very start of the intro, they touched on Nikolai Goldobin. And we might have to take that out. No, we might have, have to keep edit. that in. Well, yeah, because it's the bank pass, right? That one yeah. that, that Patterson sends up to Besser. Yeah. And now Goldie's gone. He's tearing so, it up in the KHL. We have to keep we have to keep that. Goldie's, yeah. Goldie's well, a folk hero. people hate the intro now, too. I feel like people like the intro at the start. We should probably make it shorter. It probably should be short, because now that you and I have to listen to it as we're, like, staring at each other waiting to talk, <laughs> it's, it is long. So it I is. Think, I think we can cut it down to, like, 45 seconds. Maybe that'll be... Uh, something that I can do in the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, we but I like the that. song, and the song's like a perfect amount of time. I know, I feel like, for and an intro. you can't you can't take botch out that botch no. clip has to stay. Yeah, for sure, it gets me fired up. It gets me fired up, and then feed us. We can me. probably take out your part. We can find some what? other no, like some other audio from you. Oh my god, you're, you're like at the time in the intro, you say you, oh you don't even cover the Canucks, you just cover Quinn Hughes. Yeah. You literally say that in the intro. That was true back in the day. Exactly. I was so a Quinn Hughes beat reporter before I was it. the managing editor of Canucks Army. Yeah, exactly. That'll be the next clip that we'll put in. I'm what the managing editor. Said. I'm the managing editor of Canucks Army. That'll yeah. be my that'll be what I put in there. I'll try no. not to cut you off so we can get a good audio clip out of this. <laughs> We've got a lot to get to today, but not really. So first of all, Tyler Tofoli, Chris. Goes out and says the plan is to stay in Vancouver. He wants to stay in Vancouver. There was a report earlier that he wanted to go back to California, potentially. You know, his wife works for the Dodgers. His dog is named Dodger. That's, you know, doesn't get more any, any more L.A. than that. So, I mean, you know, that was a report that came out. And then he goes on Zoom today. You were on that Zoom call. I tagged you in for that one. By the way, tag me in more. You never get a question in. My first one, I raise my hand. Like, that's how you answer in these Zoom calls. Yeah, you yeah. raise hand. About 15 seconds later, uh, Chris Faber from Canucks Army, what? next question. Oh, like, I barely raised. I got into the meeting because we were doing a journalism class at the time. Uh, so hopefully Brian's not listening to this because I dipped out of the class to go do a Zoom call. Uh, but I... Um, but yeah, I just I raise my hand. Fifteen seconds later, they call on me. So am I? Am I being blacklisted yeah. for te- for saying Triampkin sucks? I think so. <laughs> and I heard uh, I heard on the broadcast they were talking about the shirt that was supposed to be made for you, but you had to yeah. stay that. I can't I can't go around wearing that. She shirt. has the shirt for you. Apparently, I know, though. I know, which is nice. And I'm going to get that shirt. Good profile picture for you next time they bring you up. That'll be um, you know how they have proudly. like a picture of yourself on the Zoom calls because they don't <laughs> have the video. That would be a really good one to have up there when you're asking Jim Benning a question about Triampkin. Oh my gosh, yeah, that doesn't show any sort of bias. But you know, okay, so Tyler Toffoli, Canucks are going to try and get him signed. The other guy they're going to try and get signed is Jacob Markstrom. The big story here, free agency is on October 9th, Chris. Like, that's less than a month away. We're recording this on September 11th. This is going to come out on September 12th. That's less than a month away. The Canucks have free agency less than a month away. We, it feels like the playoffs just ended because they did. Yeah, I was worried because like I, I need to hit. Well, I don't need to, but to get uh, to get fully paid from Canucks Army, I got to hit twenty four articles a month. And I was like, I don't know if I can put out a, a Hoglander and a Pod Colson article every second day of this whole time. <laughs> but now that free agency is like a month away, I'm not really too worried because there's a lot of stuff we can get into and a lot of stuff with Jacob Markstrom. And you haven't even mentioned our guest yet. Speaking of Jacob Markstrom, who's on the oh, show man. this week? You've read the title of the episode. It's goaltending one hundred and one. It's mostly just me chatting with them, but I'm the right guy to be talking about goaltenders. It's Kevin Woodley talking on the show tons of insight tons of different stuff that he brought up one thing that he brought up that was really interesting and something i know is going to put canucks twitter in a frenzy even though kevin said he didn't mean for it to and he doesn't want it to is ian clark owns a summer home in florida the assistant gm bill zito who gave him a shout out for helping construct the goaltending pipeline in columbus is now the gm of the florida panthers okay 
So you put that together. And then you add the fact that Sergey Bobrovsky struggled in Florida. And the only time he's been that good is when he's with Ian Clark. And Ian Clark's contract expires at the end of next season. So what you're saying is Ian Clark is good as gone right now. No. See, that's what you're saying that's on what the I show was, this week. That's what I said to Kevin. I'm like, Kevin, are, can you please confirm that? Ian, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But <laughs> I, I insinuated it. I was like, I was like, whoa, what are you saying here? And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah. Like, I just, I'm surprised this hasn't been brought up yet. And I was just like, I don't think a lot of people knew that Ian Clark has a summer home in Florida. Well, that's going to be fun news. We just lost Judd Brackett. I got all <laughs> these t-shirts that said, in Judd we trust. And I'm about to make Ian Clark shirts up next for the but, combo. But. But as you'll hear in the conversation with Kevin Woodley, like the organization has treated Ian Clark really well. Yeah, like Ian Clark is very happy with his role and Good. with the way he's being treated by management. You, you keep that guy happy, okay? He's it's good right now. Like there's no problems between Ian Clark and the organization. Pay the man. Pay the man as much as you can. Yeah, sure. You no, know, Aquilini's a billionaire, and there's not going to have a cap on guys like that. You don't have a cap for these players. Like you know, keep everyone in the organization that's helping right now. You know. Keep Aiden, keep Ryan Beach, keep Ian Clark, keep all these guys that you don't have a salary cap for because with a flat cap, it's going to hurt your John Weisbrod. No there's another guy they got to keep. Keep jo- give yeah. him whatever well, he wants. He's already getting whatever he wants. <laughs> have you not been paying attention for the last couple of years? Jeez, man. Yeah, no, I'm excited because I, I came in at the very end of that conversation. I feel like a true Vancouver right now. I know I moved here, uh, you know, at the start of 2020, but I feel like a true Vancouver because I got stuck in some horrible traffic uh and i know woodley got caught in some traffic on his way to his golf game as yeah, well we made so him a late couple holes late um so that's uh yeah I've, i think i got my vancouver badge for the first time here because i i kept saying like the traffic's really not that bad a lot of the time like everyone used to complain about it i didn't think it was that bad but uh yeah i ran into it today that was tough but so, yeah jacob markstrom and his contract here hold on is vancouver traffic that bad now are you on board? No, it's it's like I said, I've been here since January. Right. And today, no, I've had two bad days. The one that I left BCIT one time, I left at five o'clock to get to the LEC to watch a Giants game. <laughs> and I showed up in the second intermission. Yeah. So that was a bad one. Um, so, yeah, I've had like two bad days and I, I drive a decent amount. I used to come into BCIT twice a week and, you hmm. know, come out here to record with you quite a bit. So. I don't know. It's not as bad as uh, as I kind of expected. It's not uh, it's not L.A. traffic, I guess. So maybe Tyler Toffoli wants to stay here as well. Yeah, I'm sure the traffic is a big reason Tyler Toffoli wants to stick around in Vancouver. Well, you know, maybe. But moving on, we got to talk about Jacob Markstrom. And it was really, really interesting. Like, you're going to have to hear the whole conversation with Woodley. I don't think you've even heard the whole conversation well, that's yet. that's the thing. I, I normally don't listen to the podcast because I normally do it with, like, we do the show together. And then I end up editing it because you don't edit any episodes. So I always have to hear it twice, pretty much. And <laughs> now I'm actually going to have to go. This is going to be the first time in a long time I've gone back and listened to the episode. Why don't you just edit this episode? Well, yeah, that wouldn't change anything for me, really. I've been doing it for the last, I don't know how many months I've been editing episodes. No, I'll edit this one. All you do is take the files that I send you and post them on the Patreon. That's and you call that editing. Hey, that's that's posting. That's more important. You don't even have the intro to the Patreon. I'm pretty sure on your computer that just shows how much you edit. (laughs) Yeah, you you do the heavy lifting. I just show up, look pretty, and finish the show i do great on here well I you got to do work. you had to some heavy lifting on the uh, on the interview i'll give you that and i it was great we had a great conversation like in all seriousness you learn something when you talk to kevin woodley yeah, even and, the little bits that i heard at the end there yeah. like yeah very much and i you know even just reading his work and, and listening to him talk on 1040 
Uh, that's why I was happy that you didn't ask about Di Pietro because I get to that at the very end. Yeah. That's like my one question that I get in. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of cool to hear him. And and yeah, he's he's high on Di Pietro. He's high on Demko. He's he's high on a lot of these goaltenders, and he's the guy to listen to for goaltenders. Man, that's why yep. this episode's called Goaltending One Hundred and One. Yep. And you know what was really interesting? He talked a lot about Matt Murray stylistically of why Matt Murray kind of fell off, right? And why you're not seeing the same sort of thing with Markstrom and the things like really, you know, I asked Markstrom, "What'd you clean up technically?" He said everything. So I got Kevin Woodley to equate that a little more and kind of break it down further. And it was really interesting, the stuff he said. And I think, you know, he even said, like, he prompted the listeners. He says at one point, he'll go, okay, try this right now, unless you're driving. Don't try this. And he, like, tells the <laughs> listeners to, like, spread their feet. And he's like, now try to move to your... Like, it's crazy. He's That's like, awesome. Oh, man. Really good insight. That's why the episode, episode 101, might I add, of the Connects Conversation is called Goaltending 101 featuring Kevin Woodley. Well, speaking of goaltending, I... Okay, I said this last week on episode 100 because we recorded right after Game 7. Right yep. after the Canucks got eliminated in Game 7. And we were 100,000% on the let Jacob Markstrom walk, sign Thatcher Demko train. Yep. After you've had this conversation with Woodley and then everyone's about to hear it right now, I was wondering, like, has your mind changed in the past week? Because mine has altered a little bit. Like, I was riding the high off of Demko <laughs> for a little bit and, like, I, I still think that he is the goaltender of the future, but I think there's a different way of going about it. But I want to hear what you say uh, yeah. first, especially after having this conversation with Willie, that we will get to just in a couple minutes here. It's going to be a bulk of the episode, by yep. the way. It's like a 42-minute 40 yeah. conversation with Woodley. I'm involved in it for about five minutes at the very end because <laughs> I showed up here. Uh, but I'm involved um, for for like five minutes as well because Woodley just loves to talk about yeah. goaltenders. He hey, killed it. <laughs> I love to hear Woodley talk about goaltenders. Oh, I hope everyone does as well. And yep. um, But yeah, yeah, my mind my mind changing on that. You know what? Not so much, but one thing I thought was really interesting and one thing I'll definitely stand by that Woodley said is if they go for Markstrom, and they rightfully should, that's what Woodley says, you know, there can't be term. Goaltending is such a weird position. It fluctuates so much. And this is coming from the goaltending guru himself. I'm not just making this stuff up. Like, it's a position that fluctuates so much. And you have to be careful if you're going to throw out term. And... Every report we've seen, everything we've been hearing is saying that the Canucks are going to play hardball. They're going to try and get the term down. Maybe they'll have to up the dollar amount to do that, but there's no no harm in going into next year with two very good goaltenders. That's a, I'm so glad you said that because that's the thing that I wanted to mention was what would you rather have? Would you rather have Jacob Markstrom protected on a two-year deal or Jacob Markstrom unprotected on a four-year deal? For the Un- expansion draft is what I'm talking about. Unprotected on a four. Yeah, and I think the way you do it, you can construct about five years. Okay, I don't know. That's, five, let's do that's, it that way. Five pushing. years unprotected at five million dollars, five point two five million over five years unprotected, or a two-year deal at five point five, but he's protected. The first one, but there's no way they're signing him for five years. You don't think so? There's no way he gets five years. You don't think Jim Benning is the type of guy who gives an extra year to a guy and an extra little bit of money on contracts? Yeah, oh, I guess he is a UFA. I was going to say he's not a UFA, but he's also... ah, Man, you know what? That's tough. That's a really good question, actually. I, I, I think, think I would take I would take the unprotected because I really like the idea now. Yeah. Like, Thatcher Demko has set himself up in a great spot yep. to make a huge push to be the starter. And here's the thing. If you leave Jacob Markstrom unprotected, and let's say that, you know, let's say that that team doesn't want to take Jacob Markstrom. Let's say the, the crack... Are they the Kraken? Kraken, yeah. I always forget because there was yeah, so yeah. much hype yeah, for a yeah. week there. But let's say the Kraken don't take Jacob Markstrom. And instead, they take Jake Vertanen or someone like that. 
Okay, so now you're bold of you to assume Jake Vertanen's getting a contract this summer. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. We can. That's something we're going to have to talk about <laughs> in the next month here before free agency. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think that let's say that they have to roll with Markstrom and Demko, and let's say that let's say that Markstrom deal is five years long at five million flat. We'll say just to to make it easy money. If Jacob Markstrom is a part of this team for five years until he's 35, 36 years old, and Thatcher Demko is also a part of this team, Jacob Markstrom's probably the better goaltender right now. I know you just saw an incredible performance from Thatcher Demko, yep. but right now looking at a starter in the 2020-21 season, yep. which is, by the way, so annoying to say. I've heard you say it a couple times. I think that's the first time I said it, 2020-21 season. Yeah. That sounds so bad. But anyways, going into next year, Thatcher Demko's going to have an opportunity to push to be the starter. If he isn't great next year like if he isn't good enough to say like even take another step because if he takes one more step next season he's very very close to being a starter right like if like he's already pretty close but if he were to take another step next season he is banging on the door to be a starter similar to what he did at the ahl level right like if he takes a step like he did in his last year at the ahl level he needs to be a starter in the 21 22 season yep so if you unprotect markstrom on a longer contract with guaranteed money on a longer contract, I wonder if he's more interested in that than having protection on a two-year deal when he's going to have to be a free agent again and he has this young goaltender pushing against him. You know, but, and then the Canucks have to work. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of levels so to much. it. There's so much. That's the much. problem. There's so many and, goddamn okay. levels to this. And you know what? Thinking back, there's I'm, I'm actually not too in favor of dropping Markstrom and then you know, investing in Demko and keeping him as the starter right now. And I'll tell you why. Something Woodley brought up that totally changed my mind and really put it in perspective. Here's the thing. Michael DiPietro took a huge step last year. He's not ready. Mikey. I said Michael. Yeah, but he's Mikey. Okay, whatever. So he's not ready to be an NHL backup. I think we can both agree on that, right? Even though he looked impressive, like Woodley said, in that uh, little stint he got there where he had Patch Reddy shooting on, which was really funny to hear Woodley talk about. Anyway, (laughs) anyway. um, We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But here's the thing, Chris. They're going to have to sign a backup goaltender from UFA, right? Like, that's what that's the reality of the situation. Well, they, yeah, if Markstrom walks, yeah. Exactly. That's Sorry, that's what I'm saying. If, if Demko comes to start, what are they going to save dollar-wise? Woodley put it about, they're either going to save two and a half to three mil, three and a half million tops, okay? So, are you really going to repair your defense enough to adequately fix the holes that Jacob Markstrom so well masks is that going to be enough? I don't think it is. So it was really interesting to hear Woodley put it like that because I had never really thought of it that way. That's not a ton of cap space for them to work with. And I'd much rather they use that cap space on Markstrom than a UFA defenseman. Yeah. Cause a lot of people see that Jacob Markstrom's contract is probably going to come in at $5 million. Yeah. And everybody out there right now, I don't think they're thinking about, okay, but then we need to sign another guy who can potentially almost start, like be a 1B, right, to play It'd with Thatcher Demko? like Grice. Halak actually signed an extension in Boston. Dobin's an option. Yeah, Grice, Dobin. Uh, you're not getting any of the top guys like yeah. be in Well, yeah, of course, yeah. Walk. But, like, you're going to have to probably give $3 million, to, or probably yep. two. Probably, no, two, maybe not two three. to three. Two yeah, to three somewhere to Grice. The, it's somewhere where it's, it starts with a two, but I don't know what it ends with. Um, but, yeah, like, you're not getting straight five, six million dollars of cap space that you thought you were going to have to spend on Markstrom. Yeah. I think that's what, that's what wasn't registering in my brain last week when we finished the, like we would, yeah. we did the episode right after also had some crown flowing last week. We, we were did. on the Demko Toward train. The back, back into that. We were, we were a little, someone pointed out to me, they're like, you guys are slurring your words a bit. I'm like, really? you know, what's funny. And if, and people listening right now on Apple podcasts can do this. I heard this a, a couple of years ago on the pucks on net podcast, but what they could do is if you, if you click 
if you click the um, the Apple podcast while it's playing and play it in half speed, listen to us talk. We sound so drunk. If you want to listen, if you want to hear some funny stuff, go on your Apple app, uh, the Apple podcast app right now. And I think it's just like it says one times because that's yeah, how yeah. fast yeah. it's playing right now. Slow it down to half speed and listen to how drunk we sound on this podcast for a second. It is hilarious. What do you mean? Yeah, well, you, yeah, well, Someone like, or you can down. just go back and listen to episode 100. And listen <laughs> yeah, to you can just hear episode 100 where the crown apple was flowing. Yeah, oh I was like, God. oh, I was going to drink a full two six last week on the show. Almost ended up doing it anyways, <laughs> just on the show, and they didn't even win. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, we've gone on for a little bit here, the goaltending situation. Something we're going to continue to talk about, but you had an excellent conversation. I'll let you throw to uh, Woodley here. Yeah, now we're going to talk to Kevin Woodley on the back half. We're going to go to break first, and then we're going to talk to Kevin Woodley, and then. Chris is going to give his much-anticipated prospect report because Niels Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin both had pretty big weeks, but you'll have to stay tuned for that. Right now, you're listening to the Canucks Conversation. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for sports cards and trading card games. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50. And did I mention that they're the presenting sponsor of this very podcast? Join them for Thursday night breaks at 5 p.m. Pacific every Thursday and be a part of an epic case break experience. Purchase your spot on ZephyrEpic.com or watch the live stream on twitch.tv slash ZephyrEpic. You can follow them on all social media platforms, including Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ZephyrEpic. That's Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Just for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners, you can also save $5 off your purchase with the promo code CANUCKSCONVO. Some restrictions apply, but you get free shipping on all orders over $50. Again, follow them on all social media platforms at Z-E-P-H-Y-R, EPIC, on all platforms. Alright guys, very pleased to be joined now by the goaltending guru himself, Kevin Woodley. Kevin, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. You clearly didn't run that by any of my beer league teammates because uh, they have a good chuckle every time I get introduced that way because they've seen me actually try and, try and stop the odd puck. It usually goes poorly, I guess what they say, right? Those that can't do teach and those that can't teach, write about it. Oh my gosh, yeah, I love that's it. Well, me. That's how I introduce you on every article and I reach out to you quite a bit for goaltending information. You've taught me a lot, so I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. For those listening, we'll explain it on the show, but Faber's not here right now. He's going to come in the middle of this interview, so I'm kind of driving the bus here. So, I mean, Kevin, let's get started here. You know, the report of Robin Leonard's deal came out today. He refuted the claim, but what do you think a deal like that, with those numbers that were reported, what do you think that would mean for the Jacob Markstrom contract? Well, it does, you know, one of two things, and it probably depends on which side of... uh, of that negotiation you're on, right? Like if you're on Jacob's side in terms of his agent, Pat Morris, you're saying, well, Hey, our guy's now number one with a bullet. There is no, there is no sort of plan B for teams to fall back on if they can't sign Jacob Markstrom. And listen, I, I actually happen to believe it's a pretty short list of teams that, that can afford um, Jacob Markstrom at any more than the Canucks can afford. But uh, if, if later has gone, that would be the argument from that side. Um, because I do believe it, falls off from Jacob sort of as the top guy later right there with him. And then, you know, the next tier starts with Braden Holpe and that's a drop, uh, at least statistically over the past season and a bit. The other side of the equation is Laner is two years younger. Um, he's had two really good seasons. He was a Vezina Trophy finalist two years ago. 
Uh, he went from a team that played incredible defense in New York to a team that didn't bother with defense in Chicago and still had a ton of success. He's showing that he can play it behind any style, and that counts because that's the number one question you have, or you should have, I think, if you're a team going in looking for a goaltender in free agency is, will this guy's success elsewhere translate with us? And I think Laner's showing he can play it anyway. So um, if you're the Canucks, you're saying, hey, like this guy was the top of the list too, and he just set the market at five over five, if that report turns out to be accurate. And, you know, listen, like there's always unique circumstances. Laner has made no secret of the fact he just wants some security and feels like he deserves uh, some term in his next contract and, and, you know, show me some love. And Vegas, apparently, according to the reports, has done that. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure it changes a ton because both sides will argue that it, it benefits them. Um, but all those factors matter heading into potentially unrestricted free agency. It's a, and I wouldn't be surprised if with the other guys sign before they hit the market, which kind of changes it from a buyer's market um, as lists get checked off uh, unrestricted free agency. Look at Yaroslav Halak for all the attention paid Hudobin and Grice. Uh, who are in the conference finals and heading to unrestricted free agency. Yarrow Halak had the same option, but he chose during the pause to re-sign in Boston because it made all this uncertainty all around the world that we all face. Take the security. Take the known quantity. It's going to be – there's so many question marks about next season. Why not remove one? Come back to the same team, the same defensive system, the same coach, the same teammates, the same city. And in Markstrom's case, I think it matters the same goalie coach. And – avoid having to have all those factors change potentially on short notice in this crazy new world where we don't know what it's going to look like the next time they play hockey. Lots to unpack here, but one guy you mentioned there, the goaltending coach, I want to ask you about Ian Clark. You know, you know a lot about him. I've written about him quite a bit, but how much do you think his impact, the players tell you it's a lot, but how much do you think his impact is to attribute for Thatcher Demko's performance in the playoffs and Jacob Markstrom's performance over these last two years? Well, I mean, it's it's massive, and I have to throw out the caveat because your audience may not be, I mean, I, I say it all the time, but your audience may not be familiar with it. I'm biased. I don't hide my bias. Um, I didn't grow up a goaltender. I was introduced to the position by Ian Clark in my 30s. And when his, in his, during his first go-around with the Vancouver Canucks, he hired me to edit a magazine. Part of editing his magazine meant reading all the technical material that he had written. And make no mistake, there is no one in the game that has produced more in terms of guides, manuals, how-tos. Like, when they say somebody wrote the book on modern butterfly goaltending, Ian did it quite literally. And so I learned the position by editing his work for the magazine. He is not, well, and then I'm guilty of this myself, he is not short-winded in the written word. Um, it, it is pretty long stuff. So you have to, you know, there was, there was a fair bit of not just editing, but the beauty with Ian is, and his goalies will tell you this, that he doesn't just tell you to do it because I say so. He really explains, and his writing was like this, his magazine was like this, the manuals he's written are like this. If you take the time to go through it, you don't just, you understand why, exactly why. You understand body mechanics. You understand why angle is prior prioritized over depth. Like all these equations you know, from geometry to, you know, physiology that matter in goaltending um, are explained to the nth degree. That's the type of detail guy he is. So um, that's how I learned. 
And so I am biased, but I think he's had a massive role. And I think one of the guys that gets ignored in all this who deserves credit for Ian being here um, and having the ability to have that impact is Dan Cloutier, who pushed hard for him to be hired. He was a guy who worked with Ian in that first goal round with the Canucks and was the driving force along with getting Trevor Linden on board before he left, one of his last moves actually, to bring in Clark back to this organization. Dan probably knowing full well that eventually, you know, like it would, it would limit his role or change his role or probably push him out, uh, had the foresight to not, not that Ian pushed him out, but have the foresight mm-hmm. to do that, to bring in such a strong personality with such a track record. And so I think that gets missed a bunch, but you know, he's here because Kluge made it happen and he's had a massive impact since he got here. There's no, no question in my mind. And that's not just my bias. That's my conversations with both goaltenders. Yeah, that's really interesting you bring that up because, again, we've heard it time and time again from both of the Canucks goaltenders that Ian Clark is huge for both of them. And I want to ask you about those two goaltenders because I've heard people talking about how stylistically Jacob Markstrom's style fits the Canucks system better. We saw the Canucks kind of change up their defense a little bit, the way they played defense in the playoffs with Thatcher Demko in net. I'm curious to hear your opinion on if you think Thatcher Demko's style will mesh well with this Canucks team going forward if the Canucks chose to keep him over Markstrom. Well, you mean they actually started to play defense? Yeah, exactly. Like, like... I think maybe like I've looked at I have I have I have access to Stephen Valakat's ClearSight Analytics um, proprietary numbers uh, through an arrangement that Ingle has with 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 Valakat and with ClearSight and you know, as far as I'm concerned they they dig in as many layers deep as anything I've ever seen in terms of really evaluating shot quality um, you know the public number the work that people do with public numbers is exceptional but I do believe there are limits on those public numbers in terms of the amount of factors that are considered. And Valakat considers 34 different points of data per shot. So you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, the, of those numbers, and I have a look at them. And it's, there, are th- there are things that Vegas did in terms of their attack and the way they try and generate offense that absolutely – tied into Thatcher Demko's strengths. So no disagreement there, actually, and, and allowed him to make sure he was, he was beating plays and set. Like, this is not taking anything away from the way he played. Um, the Canucks made sure that lateral plays were not getting through. They did batten down the hatches and collapse to the house a little bit uh, and give Thatcher some sidelines. But in terms of strengths and weaknesses like overall like even when you get granular and dig into types of chances um like the reason that markstrom fits the canucks system so well is because he outperforms across the board almost every type of chance except breakaways so like i I really don't think this is like jacob markstrom fits the system because he's played at an exceptionally high level. The, the only thing about the Canucks system that I would say fits Jacob Markstrom to a T versus, say, another goaltender is they do give up. A lot of the volume they give up is from outside. So when Travis Green comes up to the podium and says, you know, a lot of it was from outside and everyone in the media sort of sometimes rolls their eyes because they can count five or six great A's that Markstrom made incredible saves on – both things are sort of true because the volume, like they do give up a ton from outside and that allows Jacob to sort of feel the game and get into the game 
And it's also where he's made his biggest statistical impact. He didn't give up bad goals this year. Like almost none. No clear sight. And so to me, that's not like something that they do in their system. That's just him playing at a level across. Like it's not like he's stopping more grade A's than Demko. His biggest difference statistically is the fact that he didn't give up bad goals. So I, I, I don't actually see it quite the same way. Um, there are obviously differences between the two, and, and they're going to suit different things. But I'm not seeing it to, to the, the degree that other people are proclaiming, and that's with access to the same numbers that I've heard some other people cite. So um, this is about a, a maturation of Markstrom's game that Demko still has to go through um, in terms of experience and time. Like, this is not... There's a gap there because Jacob's great, not because Demko can only handle certain types of plays. In the same sentence, the way Vegas attacked definitely suited his strengths, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. With that in mind, do you think that a team will be comfortable, no matter what, going after Jacob Marsham? Because we saw Sergey Bobrovsky this year struggle a bit with the Panthers. Do you think a team is kind of going to pump the brakes a bit on going after a UFA goaltender and throwing big money at them? I think they'll pump the brakes on Sergei Bobrovsky money. And interestingly enough, Sergei Bobrovsky, the decline of Sergei Bobrovsky is tied to um, separation in part from Ian Clark as his goaltending coach, Mm -hmm. just as the rise of Sergei Bobrovsky was tied to Ian Clark becoming his goaltending coach. And interesting to note that the Columbus Blue Jackets assistant general manager that was there with them both is now in charge in Florida. Ian Clark has a house in Florida and one year left on his contract. Take that for what you will. Um, But uh, I think that um, it will have teams a little hesitant to just expect that even a Vesna Trophy winner, a two-time Vesna Trophy winner, can fix your problems. Frankly, I think it was ignorant to think that in the first place. Like, so I don't know that you can apply all teams' wisdom to Dale Talon's mistakes because a lot of other teams would have seen that as a mistake in the first place. Mm-hmm. If we're honest, Roberto Luongo is a career 919 guy. James Reimer for all that he is and isn't is consistent in terms of what he's been able to produce in his NHL career. Both of those guys were sub 900 two years ago in Florida. When every goalie struggles, I tend to look beyond the goaltending. And I said it in Florida, this was a problem with their the way they structured their defense in terms of personnel and Bob can't fix it. Like goalies in their environment are intertwined. Very few guys outperform their environment at a high level, at a consistent level. It's a short list, which what that's what makes Jacob Markstrom special for the last season and a half. He's done that, you know, at a top five level in the league. So I, I do think teams will be a little cautious because of the Bob deal. Um, And yet it was unique because I think most teams probably looked at Florida's defense and said, well, your goalie's not going to be able to fix this on his own. And that's exactly what's happened. So I think I don't, as much as it may have teams be cautious about $10 million in seven years, I think most teams looked at that situation and knew it wouldn't fix it anyways. Especially like, again, like Roberto Luongo didn't forget how to play goal after a hall of fame career, everything in front of him went to crap. And that's what happens. I thought Quenville would be able to fix much of it. But I think the personnel just doesn't work there to the point where even Quenville couldn't sort of quiet the environment in front of Bob. I don't think Bob forgot how to play goal either. As much as he might, you know, maybe could use an Ian Clark in his ear, um, you know, he's still a hell of a goaltender. 
He played in one of the hardest environments in the entire National Hockey League. Not only does that tend to drag your numbers down, but it tends to have a cumulative effect. If you can't trust what's going on in front of you defensively, it becomes hard to sort of play your game because you're also trying to play defense a lot of the times. If that, I said this when the Oilers were churning through goaltenders year after year and everyone was struggling. If the defense lets the backdoor pass get through nine straight times that they're supposed to take care of, you're going to start cheating on the 10th. And in this league, as soon as you cheat and lean, somebody snipes you short side. It just doesn't work. And that's what I've seen in Florida for the past two seasons. They fix that, they'll get Bob back at a higher level. Interesting. Very interesting stuff. And I hope you know you're going to put Canucks Twitter into a frenzy with that Ian Clark Florida comment. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's kind of like I'm a little surprised, frankly, that we haven't had a, a few more conversations about it. Like as soon as um, I, I don't know what the role was, to be perfectly honest with you, in terms of Zito and, and his role with Columbus, with, with Ian Clark departing Columbus. Um, you know, he's very happy here. Uh, I think he feels taken care of and, 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 and has a He's from Vancouver, right? Originally mm-hmm. has a fondness for the area and has, um, you know, I think, a, I, I think this management staff has done very well by him. So I, I'm not meaning to light any fires, but when a team invests $70 million in a goaltender and there's one goalie coach he's had his most success under, and that goalie coach happens to have his summer home in the same state that team plays and only has a year left on his contract. I don't know how you don't at least connect those dots as something that there might be an interest there. But I'm not in any way saying the interest is reciprocated. It's just something to be aware of. Interesting. Yeah, I think I don't think a lot of people knew about the summer home thing, but that's really interesting to note. And I'm glad you brought it up on the show because we're definitely going to have to clip that. But I want to I want to ask you, it's the million dollar question. It's on everybody's mind. If you're the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks and you're trying to decide what to do with your goaltending situation going forward, I'll just leave a open ended. What are you doing this offseason? I'm trying to re-sign Jacob Markstrom because, and, and, and see, this is the problem. Anytime you say something like that, it's like, oh, that means you must not believe in Thatcher Demko. Not the case, not at all. Expecting what Demko did was show you the potential in those past last three games in Vegas. And man, is it exciting. I'm a massive fan of this kid. Have been since they drafted him. Even though when they drafted him, they talked about his technical game, you know, how good it was. And then when I saw him for the first time, me and Dan Cluche, frankly, were both like, what technical game? Like, but it was the mindset and the approach and the willingness to improve and add new tools. And the fact that he had performed at such a high level, basically playing on no legs, like zero degrees of internal rotation before the hip surgery. Like there was so much to like about this kid and he's sort of living up to all of this. When you talk to him, I like the guys that leave no stone unturned. They're always looking for an advantage, but I've come to recognize that sometimes that can mean searching too much and not sort of trusting a foundation. Demko's done a nice job of both. And there's a ton to like here. So saying I want, I would try and keep Jacob Markstrom is not anti-Thatcher Demko. It's more, you're going to need two goalies next year. Set it going into these playoffs. Like if you don't have depth, you're dead because there's no way goalies are getting through the whole thing unscathed. And pretty much the only guy who has is Andre Vasilevsky, who, by the way, is a freak athletically. Like guys, you saw it. Hudoman's guys are wearing down. This is an insane schedule. It was ridiculous, frankly, especially what the Canucks did in the mm-hmm. in the second round there with the two back to back. But this is what we're looking at next year. Like 
we're, they're already talking about pushing this into January and February and trying to get at least a 70-game season in. This is going to be condensed, condensed, condensed with travel potentially. you got to have two. And this team probably doesn't want to and probably can't afford to take a step back in terms of competing for a cup. So I am trying to find a way to re-sign Jacob Markstrom in Vancouver. And at the same time, not limit myself should Thatcher continue on this progression in the very near future so that I have the option when it comes to expansion. Mm. Um, I, I'm trying to sign him to a shorter term deal. And I actually believe that might be what they're trying to do too. Like they're trying to keep the term reasonable. I don't know if they can. I don't know if that's fair to Jacob Markstrom. He's earned, he's earned the security of a longer term deal. And yet if I'm a GM, this isn't even Canucks specific term is what I avoid with goaltenders because it's just such a fluctuating position. Not even just in terms of, hey, Demko could surpass him. Again, not saying it's going to happen, but that possibility and allowing for it. But just like, like look, at, look at Matt Murray. Matt Murray won two Stanley Cups and was being compared to Ken Dryden. And everything he did worked. And then the game changed. And actually, it started to change because of the way the Penguins won their two Cups and the way Washington won its Cup by defending East-West and by generating East-West. Mm. Other teams are all doing it. The game is all about East-West in front of the goaltenders. And what can you not get away with as a goaltender in that style of game? you got to be able to move. And what makes it hard to move? Being locked in too low, too wide, too soon in a stance. And if you watch Matt, watch Matt Murray play when he was successful and now when he's not being, he is a low, wide stance and it limits his mobility. And until he changes that, and I thought I saw signs he was trying to, it's not going to work. So if we can go through those massive swings without Matt Murray becoming a worse goaltender, just because the way he played no longer necessarily suits the way teams are attacking as well as it used to in three years, why am I going crazy and signing goalies for six and seven? So I'm trying to bring back both, but I'm doing my best to convince Jacob Markstrom that he doesn't need long, long term. Now, the easiest way to do that, of course, is to offset it by overpaying on the money, which also might help you with the expansion draft. But that's not easy to do because they have a cap crunch. So again, I, I'm, I'm perfect world. I'm bringing them both back. I understand that the Vancouver Canucks don't live in a perfect world. The other one that I hear people say a lot is, well, just let them go. You've got Demko. And then you can just sign somebody else in free agency. If Laner sets the market at five, I still think you're going to see the top sort of one B guys get three, three and a half. Maybe are you saving, even if it gets driven down to three, even if it's driven down to two and a half, it's let's say you save two and a half to $3 million, not re-signing Jacob Markstrom. Are you telling me that that's going to be the difference that allows you to improve this team enough defensively that they can go from being bottom five in the NHL to even middle of the pack? Or is that money basically, that money's required just to maintain the status quo in Vancouver? And if it's the status quo and you're still a bottom five team defensively over the course of a season, I think you're better off with Jacob Markstrom because he's shown he can handle that. Wow, really, really good stuff here. We're talking to Kevin Woodley, just so everybody knows. Chris is going to be here soon, I think. Just got a message from him, so looking forward to him walking in in the middle of a conversation. But before that, I want to ask you, Kevin, and you know, we're kind of going back here, turn back the clock a little bit, because I asked Jacob Markstrom you know, what it was that Ian Clark came here and worked with him on specifically 
on the technical side that cleaned up his game so much. And Markstrom said everything. I'm hoping you can give a little more insight. And what was it that was holding Jacob Markstrom back before? Because again, like this is a guy who was a top prospect, right? For many, many years and didn't really figure it out till later. So I'm wondering if you can provide some insight for our listeners on what it was specifically that Markstrom really cleaned up to fix his game. I can, I can paint a general picture. I'm not sure. I, I'm not going to be able to do it justice because the reality is I can't speak it in Clark's level in terms. And like, like I understand a bunch of it. We've gone over a bunch of it, but I'm not going to deliver it as well as he can. The, the guy really is like, it's, it's next level when he, when he breaks it down. I've heard. In simple terms. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. When he came back, I was pretty, as a goalie geek, like admitted where it was pride. Johan Hedberg once called me a goalie nerd and told me I should wear that label proudly. So I do. Um, like having Clark back and being able to go into his office and have him explain stuff and go over stuff is, it's been pretty cool. Um, I said this before Ian came. I said a lot in terms of what was holding Jacob back. And it's a simple thing. And, and I'm sure a lot of people heard it and were like, what the hell are you talking about? He's in the National Hockey League. What do you mean he doesn't watch the puck? But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He was a piss poor puck tracker um, with bad visual habits. And ironically, that was the first thing that Ian tried to clean up. Like Jacob would read where the play was going, get his body there, and then find the puck. And so that puts a lot of stress on you when you're always trying to find it. You're behind the game. Now he lo- he beats it. He like he he just puts it. His his visual habits are so much better. He beats plays with his eyes. Gets to the spots. He's not chasing the puck. So that's that's a big part of it. And when you're tracking it properly, pucks don't go through you as much. You're not late because you're set. You're set. You're square. You're there early. You're waiting for the play to come to you. You can move into it as opposed to, I found he had a tendency to let pucks get underneath his vision. Head was up, pushed to the ice with his knees, shoulders pulled back. And that creates seams and the puck, like quite literally where you're watching and where the puck is on low shots, especially. And this is a big thing that Mikey DiPietro has changed too. pucks get underneath your vision. And he's so much better with that because of his visual habits, because of getting there earlier. The other thing he's done that actually facilitates a lot of that is he's changed his stance. We talked about Matt Murray earlier being locked in too low, too wide, too soon. Um, Jacob has developed the same thing that that Ian brought to Sergei Bobrovsky's game a three-stance system in terms of your regular play. When you incorporate net play and post integration, I think he's up to five or six stances, but your basic sort of puck in front of you moving around the zone, he has a three-stance system. And the first stance is narrow and wide. And so if you were to go go back and find photos of Jacob Markstrom before Clark and now where he say set up on a face-off or when the puck's at the point on the perimeter, say on a power play moving around. Maybe not a power play because you're a little more locked and loaded there, but just moving around the outside of the zone. You will see Jacob in what we call a narrow stance compared to before. Before he would have been, his feet would have been further apart. He would have been more hunched over at the waist, more looking like he's ready for save execution. Now he's upright and tall. His feet are narrow together. He's still got some, he's still got some bend. He's not, he's not straight legged. He's still in an athletic stance. His hands are nice and forward and relaxed, but it does two things. Now you're using your height to your advantage in terms of seeing pucks because you're so big you can look over things. Hmm. But you're no longer – like same with Murray. When you lock in low and wide, like 
you know, if I guess this is a podcast, so people aren't driving listening. If you are driving, don't try this in your car. <laughs> um, but if you, if you get your feet spread out, you know, really wide in a stance, go into that athletic stance and now try and move to your left. And what you have to do is you have to sort of that lead leg, the direction you're going, you have to sort of like unlock it and pull it up and load that back leg and then push. And there's a lot of opening and closing in that motion. There's a lot of stress in that motion. There's a lot of delays in that motion. If I've got my feet together and I'm nice and narrow and upright, I don't have to unlock that lead leg. I just slightly lift it. Like I've got access to the push edge right away and I barely have to, I don't have to like pull that lead leg up and out of the way. I just shift my weight over top of it, open it and push. And I push with a lot more power because my push leg is not extended out beside me. I've got it underneath me. I've got access to a full range of power. So I'm quicker. I have better visuals because I'm taller. I can look over things. I'm faster and I'm not having to open and close to make that move. And I get to my next spot and I'm able to set and square early. Adding that upright, that sort of first of three stances to his game. And then he goes into sort of a middle relaxed and then a, and an actual save execution stance where, where you are getting a little lower and wider. That's made a massive difference in his game. So those are the two visual habits, three stance system. And then the third one is post play. Um, or what Ian calls reverse tracking. And that's where you see, and you see it with Bob. We talk a lot about reverse VH and VH and different post integrations. This is sort of a, a next level one where you, you've seen it. If you've watched Jacob play and if you watch Bob play where he plays behind the net, he's actually on his knees with a skate on each post. Now being his size helps, but there are other elements uh, that he had to develop in the off season. I remember after his first season talking to him late in the year, it's actually probably one of the best interviews I had with him where, because he was just genuinely excited because everything he had done that second half of that first season, he, he knew there was more to come. Like it was just the tip of the iceberg. And there were actually things that Clark couldn't really teach him. And then I think reverse tracking was one of them. He was just starting to, unless he went into the off season and changed some of his training habits to free up, some mobility through his hips, Demko as well. And so by freeing that up, now you see him in this post integration where plays behind that, he's got a skate on each post, he's totally sealed along the ice. Again, you're not panicking on your visuals because you're not swinging back and forth and moving all the time. Just look over your shoulder. Okay, it's, it's gone from my left shoulder. I swing over to my right. Haven't given up my coverage. I'm still in the middle of the net. I've got the ice sealed. I'm not worried about wraps. Every once in a while, maybe someone banks it off the bottom of my pads like it happened in the playoffs. But for the most part, just great with that all year. So, again, post-play is something that can cause goalies fits. He's been excellent at it. But he's also able to move in, watch him move in and out of that stance and get up off those posts where he's totally sealed and beat a play to the top of the crease because his mobility in and out of it is so good. And that creates a confidence when you're on your posts. But also, again, that I'm not sacrificing all that all that sort of visual habits and being able to be placed to the top of the crease, even when I come off my post. So that's a lot. When Jacob said everything, like those are three major elements of any goaltender's game and all of them have improved significantly. And in Clark deserves a ton of credit, but none of it happens if Jacob Markstrom isn't willing to make massive changes to his game late in his career. And, it, and listen, I'm telling you, not every goalie loves in Clark he is a taskmaster. He expects you to be the hardest working guy on the ice. And he pushes some guys to the point where they want nothing to do with them, frankly. Um, 
Jacob deserves a lot of credit for this late in his career, having been this highly regarded prospect saying, I'm in, I'm all in, tell me what to do and we'll get there. Wow. Interesting. And you know, man, I could listen to you talk about the technical side of goaltending all day. So I'm going to ask you another, another Everyone one. Everyone else fell asleep though. You're the only one who's still awake. I, I'm like wide eyed. I, I love this. You know, I love talking about goaltenders. So I'm going to ask you another question about the technical side of the game. You know, when you look at Thatcher Demko and you, you were just saying when he got drafted, you know, it wasn't there. What do you think that he's improved on the most? And where do you think he needs to improve going forward if he wants to be a legitimate NHL starter? Well, a lot of the things he's improved in the last two years are similar, like sort of post-play habits. And listen, it wasn't a nightmare technically, but there were things like in terms of post-integration that, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm not speaking out of school here because I know Dan was surprised at the time too. I remember that first development camp where it's like, wow, like he doesn't do this yet. Nobody taught him this yet. And I'm like, isn't he in university? Like, really? And so, um, but man, he's like, sometimes we can, like I can focus on that technical side and it's really not the most important thing. It's easy to identify and it's easy to identify changes, but it, it's the other elements that allowed him to succeed without that in his game. And sometimes we can we can make too many changes and make guys too technical and, and take the instincts out of his game. Um, I think I think where Demko's done a really nice job is sort of adding these layers in terms of technique, um, working on on the range of motion because as flexible as he was, he did tend to end up in that fully extended split range too often and too early in save sequences. Like, it's great he has it. It's remarkable, actually. I'm jealous. Um, and, and he can make those highlight reel saves. But if you watch earlier in his pro career, minor pro career, and even in college, he was into that goalie nine one one mode way too early. And you can't get away with that in the NHL. You need to make the first and second one cleanly and, and efficiently. And where you get into goalie nine one one is on that third and fourth one. So that's been a big improvement. Um, I think where he's managed the mental side of the game is massive in his first year pro. Like he came in, uh, we're guilty of it. I think gold magazine sometimes of, you know, all these different things you can do to get ready to play. You got, Oh God, you got like mental imagery. You're doing visualization. You're doing ball drills. You're doing juggling. You're doing eye exercises in your yoga. You're doing your dynamic warm up, And so we, we always like when a goalie shares something with that, we'll always put it out and, amazing because Mike Condon was the same way told me the same thing like they would become consumed by it Demko got 10 games into his first uh, season and he was exhausted because he was doing all this every day and he didn't have his breakthrough that first year until he just let go of it all and just learned how to go out and play the game and still does his work but isn't consumed by it doesn't feel like he has to do everything perfectly doesn't have to show up at the rink at four o'clock and do all these little things at the right time it was consuming him, was exhausting him. So that's a big step. He made that step. Um, we talked about range of motion through the hips and, and, you know, different types of flexibility. He's worked on that. Man, in that Vegas series, what impressed me so much was his patience on his edges. I don't know if I just didn't notice it before or if it really has changed that much, but his tracking mechanics and patience where it was right in that first game early shot where there's a puck shot from higher in the zone. It was halfway through the slot before it was deflected. And he was still holding his edges and able to react to the deflection. If you're reacting early on the initial shot on where it's going and you push and you slide, now you're caught against the grain moving. But just that ability to hold his edges and that patience and not to push to the ice in a way that pulls everything away from the puck and opens up holes, but to stay over top of the puck 
I thought in the Vegas series that was as good as I've seen that from him. I'd never thought of it as being that exceptional, and it was. And when I look back over some of the film, like he really has come a long way in terms of those mechanics. But I think the biggest thing is just, you know, the experience, like, and, and learning to manage mentally. I, I can't say which goaltender and I can't say which uh, mental skills coach he works with. It's not a Canucks guy, but like there's a guy who's been in the playoffs a whole bunch. And this year was the first year that he went into the playoffs after making this switch that he said, I went into the playoffs not thinking I had to do more. Like, I couldn't believe that this guy had been in the league as long. He actually went into the playoffs every year thinking, well, it's the playoffs. i got to be better. i got to do more. Like, how can you do more? You can't do more. You can't change what got you there. It's like me walking up to the first tee at my, my golf game later today because I want to impress the people I'm playing with. I better swing harder and hit it further than I better hit it before. How does that work out? Not well most of the time, and it's the same thing with goaltending. So the fact that Thatcher has – has has learned those lessons himself this early in his career. When I got guys who are like, like I'm not exaggerating. I'm doing the math in my head here. I'm going to say this is seventh playoff appearance for this goaltender. This is not a small name. And it took him seven appearances to realize he didn't have to try harder when the playoffs started. Thatcher's learned those lessons. The skill set's always been there. You combine those two things and yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. But at the same, in the same breath, Jacob Markstrom has been one of the best goalies in the entire National Hockey League for the last 18 months. I think they're probably better served to have both if there's any way to do it. Kev, I, uh, I have arrived here finally. Um, I just made it through some Vancouver I traffic. Go. I know. I was like, I come here for the last second. Um, but I was wondering if I could sneak one more question in because I know you've watched him a little bit as well. Uh, with Mikey DiPietro, I know a lot of people are really high on him. Uh, I got to watch a lot of him at the AHL level this year. There were some great moments and some bad moments, but I wonder if you want to just kind of close this out with the last question for me here on Mikey DiPietro. I'm just impressed that you hopped in like this and didn't, because if you'd asked me a repetitive question, I would have had to go hard ass on you and like <laughs> fully shut you down and say that, you know, or like when you know when guys come into the press conference early and been there, done that, and they ask something and the and coach is like, I already answered that. Yeah, I was going to start with, how'd you like March from season? I was going to start with something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I'm a massive Mikey DiPietro fan for a lot of the same reasons that uh, I told Quads earlier. I love Thatcher. Um, he's a no stone unturned guy. Uh, I've had the privilege of being on the ice with him at Hockey Canada camps where I was there in a consulting role and, and Mikey was there, um, you know, heading into his world junior year. Uh, he was there actually last year too as a coach, but got sick, um, and had to leave early. I, I just, I love his approach. He recognized, even when he got drafted and everyone was making a big deal about his height. It's funny because we had a conversation that summer. He's like, well, you know, I give up most of my goals lower. Like it's height isn't like high goals aren't an issue. And the interesting thing is that when he said that to me, I actually never said this to him, but I'd already talked to a couple other coaches in the OHL, that, and that was the buck, like to beat him over the pads. And when you looked at his mechanics and his stance, he was very vulnerable there because he was. we talked about being low and wide and locked and loaded. That was him. And so as the puck was shot and he went to the ice, he did so in a way that because he was so bent over at the waist in his setup – the only way to get to the ice and stay tall was to pull your shoulders back. And so as soon as you do that, again, you have a tendency to let the puck get underneath your vision lines. You lose access to your hands in terms of just low shots over the puck, over your pads. And you're pretty much depending on the high shots coming back up into your vision. So I'm not surprised that he was better high than he was low, despite everyone focusing on the fact he's six feet. I don't, by the way, I don't think that's a problem. Um, 
he went and fixed it. He went and got help. He went and worked with different coaches. Um, and he improved those mechanics so much. He was so good in the world juniors, I thought. And, and, and that work paid off. And then with Ian Clark, the last sort of piece to that was I still found the chest angle would get a little low where instead of coming down on pucks with your head, you're coming down with your chest and it creates that same problem I just talked about where you can, you can feel like you're on top of the puck, but you're actually causing yourself to pull off it, uh, when you drop, when the, when the puck's released. And again, like you watched him in the AHL, chest angle, nice and upright, hands in front, head over the pot. Like he just, his ability, he's a no stone unturned guy, never stops working. I love all of those elements, but his ability to sort of process these differences that the coaches will ask him to, to make in his game and adopt them. Like there's just so much to love here. And that was a hell of a season. Yeah. For for first year pro, that's the biggest jump you can make. You ask Carter Hart, and I've had this conversation with him a few times. What was the biggest jump for him? It wasn't going from the American League to the NHL. It was going from junior to the American League. Like that is a massive step because now everyone's a man. You're not playing against you know half the lineup is boys. They're all seasoned pros. They're all big and strong, and they all rip the freaking puck. And Mikey in his first year there, the difference between him last year and him this year, such a massive change. The future is very bright. I hesitate to say like, he's ready right now, put him in the NHL. Um, Cause I think it probably would serve him best to continue to have, you know, more experiences down there. And yet I got to be honest, there were times in that Vegas game he got thrown into this year. And I know he ended up giving a late one, like talk about getting no help. Like, <laughs> like they just hung him out. And like patches of all people, like just walking in. And I know Dylan Ferguson, one of the Vegas prospects, and Fleury said the same thing. Like nobody shoots as hard as Pacioretty. And so, yeah, he gave one up there. And so the numbers don't end up being flattering. But he made a couple really tough saves. And he was just the way he moved and the way he was on the puck. I was like, I came away from, I know, it was like, what, what was it, guys, eight minutes? I was yeah. so impressed with that. And I was just like, holy crap, like he's really taken a step. And so that's encouraging. And that's why I hate to go back to it, but that's why you don't kill yourself on term with Jacob Markstrom. It's not, it's not that I don't believe in him. I, hell I've led the, he should be the, the finalist campaign for the last like eight months. And he should be, I'm a massive fan, but you don't lock yourself in because Mikey may not be as far away as a lot of people, including myself, would have assumed at the start of this year. That's how too impressive he is as a young man. That's how impressive he was this year making a big step to the American League. So I'm a massive fan. And again, almost like me talking about Ian Clark, I got to be careful because when you like these guys as people, you tend to, you know, sometimes it's gotten in my way in the past, you know, with, with goalies in terms of analyzing them. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to get better at separating it. I'm a massive fan of Michael DiPietro as a person as well. But I do think when you take that away and just look at the goaltending, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of upside here. And he's realizing it faster than I even thought was possible. And that's all positive for the Vancouver Canucks. Absolutely. Yeah, we love Mikey here as well. He told uh, Dave that he wasn't a true Italian because Dave eats uh, Domino's pizza. One so time. I was, One I was time. a huge fan of Mikey when I had my little conversation with him there. But we'll, I know you got a tea time to get to, Kev, so we're going to wrap it up here. Um, but the final question, and this is just a quick little yes-no, and I appreciated a lot of your work at the time uh, pumping Jacob Markson's tires for the Vesna because it helped me uh, settle a debate with Dave as I talked about uh, Markstrom being the MVP. So can you... Can you give me a for sure saying that he was the MVP of the Vancouver Canucks this year? 
who am I to argue with Jim Benning? Fair enough. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll let you he go. Did, he, he called him the MVP. I think a couple other guys have uh, who am I to argue with Chris Tanev yesterday calling him the MVP. Listen, like it's an exciting time for Canucks fans, and they deserve it after some pretty lean years here. I'm an objective observer. I get paid in, to watch these games and write about them, whether they win or lose. It's a lot more fun to be around the team when they win. I think the fans, though, really deserve what's going on here. And the fact that a guy can have a campaign that should have made him a Vesna finalist, GMs are idiots. Yep. I'm sorry. Yep. Andre Vasilevsky can be the best goaltender in the NHL. He really can be. And still not have been the best goaltender this season. Those things are not mutually exclusive. Both can be true. And they should have been this year. Um, but the fact we can have uh, be agreed upon, Jacob Markstrom should be a Vesna Trophy finalist, and even have a debate about whether he's the team MVP, man, like that's, that's good in its own, isn't it? Like that's a positive for Canucks fans. And it's a positive that they've waited a while to hear. It's a positive they deserve to hear. And it's something I hope they get to hear for a long time because, um, like I said, objective observer, but it's still a lot more fun when the city's pumped. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome to talk to us about goaltenders anytime. We love it. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, hey, anybody who's willing to listen to me ramble for this long is uh, you're automatically moving up the callback list. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Kevin. Enjoy that golf game. Go drive it like Demko. I heard he hits 400. Yeah, I'm not getting there. I just don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> All right, have a good one, Kevin. Take care. Okay, bye. And a huge thank you to Kevin Woodley for that wonderful conversation that Chris got to experience the back half of. What an absolutely outstanding like chat. The, the back eighth of it, not yeah. the back half. Yeah, yeah, the back eighth, sorry. But what I, like, I showed chat. up to the golf course and played holes 17 and 18. That's all I did. <laughs> Man, that's my kind of golf. I was I always do really well on those last two holes. You know what I've noticed? And, you know, you see this on Instagram, you see this on Twitter sometimes, I post videos. How many golfers... Or how many of the media members in Vancouver are left-handed golfers? J-Pat's one. J-Pat's Sikaris one. is one. is a lefty? Clutchy is one. Oh, Wadden's wow. one. So basically all of TSN 1040 are lefty golfers. I'm a lefty golfer. Huh. I just, you know, you don't see a lot of lefty. Maybe you see a little bit more nowadays. Hmm. I still stand by the tweet that I sent out, and this tweet got a lot of interactions, which is something that you know nothing about on Twitter. <laughs> I hate Twitter. Go on. <laughs> but uh, I think that people that play hockey left-handed and golf right-handed is the weirdest thing ever. My brother, my dad, my uncle. Actually, my uncle's a lefty. But lefty yeah. on the golf course? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. My favorite, my home golf course in Nanaimo, dog leg left. Every single hole, dog leg left. It just works so nice on the slice. Hmm. Interesting. But... This isn't the Patreon, so we're not going to just... Yeah, not, we, we've, got hockey. Go we've got hockey to talk about. Yeah, That's we'll right. stay on topic here. We're not going to shoot it. Um, but prospects report. That's what we're doing here to wrap Take up it this away, buddy. Woodley stuff. All right, today, tough one. Journalism class is going on. I got a Hoglander game going on. I got a Pod Colson game going on. I don't know how I'm going to keep this going on with school, but I did today. Uh, Niels Hoglander, two goals in his final preseason action. First goal, he's coming in on the right side, gets a pass across, a 5-1-5 goal, one-timer that he just bust past the goaltender. Great goal. Second one comes on the power play. Um, he was in front of the net on a slap shot, bounces off the goaltender's pad, pokes one hand on the stick, pokes it right past the goaltender. Gorgeous, another goal. So... The article I wrote the other day about Niels Hoglander projecting what a breakout season looks for him, a breakout season I predicted for him was something to have like 0.75 points per game, right? So let's so that's that's the equivalent of scoring three points every four games. He's played seven preseason games right now so far for Rogle over there. Rugley? I'm trying to pronounce that one. I'm yeah. working on that one. Rogel. Yeah. 
Rogel's the, yeah, that's the very uh, uh, North American way of saying it. But in his seven preseason games, he has three goals and five assists, putting him at eight points in seven games. So he's over a point per game player right now. So the tracking that we did with the PGPS program that uh, Jeremy Davis has set up tracked the players that were to put up a point per game in their draft plus two seasons. 100% of players that were at a point per game made the NHL. So they were contributors in the NHL level, and over 50% of them were top six players. Interesting. So that is if Niels Hoglander can keep it up and stay at you know a point per game, which is going to be tough. There was only, I think, five players in the SHL last year that were a point per game. So that's going to be tough for Hoglander to do, but he also doesn't have to do it for a full season. I think he's eligible to play in 28 games. I believe it's 28 or 26 before his loan is up because on December 12th, They'll play their final game before taking a two-week Christmas break. During that two-week Christmas break, that's when the loan expires for Niels Hoglander. So all these people that are asking me, when can Hoglander come over? Mm -hmm. And it's driving me up a wall because I write it in every single article that I write. I tweet it out probably every day too, and it's still the question that I get so much. When can Hoglander come over? When can Pod Colson come over? I'm going to say it right now. Niels Hoglander can come to North America as of December 13th when his loan expires and the two-week break begin, begins at the SHL level. That means that Huglander is probably going to miss training camp because training camp is tentatively scheduled for November 17th for the Vancouver Canucks. So he's going to miss training camp unless training camp gets pushed back three weeks for some reason. But I think the NHL season is scheduled to start at the start of December is what they're aiming for. Again, all this is tentative. It's not set in stone yet, so we're going to have to go off that when it happens. But December 13th is the date where he can fly to North America and come join the Vancouver Canucks. Vasily Pod Colson, because everybody asks about him all the damn time, too. His season ends at the end of February. The playoffs begin in March, and the, they can potentially go as long as the end of April. Just so everyone knows. So he cannot play in the playoffs for the Vancouver Canucks. A lot of people are saying, oh, he's going to join them for a playoff push. Sort of. He can join them to help get them into the playoffs, but he's not going to... He's not going to be eligible to play in the playoffs for the Vancouver Canucks. Niels Huglander, if he makes the team in December, he will be eligible to play for the Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs, but Vasily Colson will not be able to. Wait, so when does Huglander come? Just, I'm just sure re- reply to one of my tweets and I'll, <laughs> I'll just, you know, I'll be mad at you. But Jason, uh, Jason oh, from uh, Canucks Army beautiful. pumped one out, made me a nice little image. And I saw Cam Robinson uh, put that as his header, header on Twitter. Beautiful. So that that's pretty awesome. So that that's kind of the update on these guys. Um, Huglander is now off for like eight days. Um, he doesn't start till his regular season is going to begin on the 19th of September, which I'm very excited for. And the other thing that I didn't even mention that in the Huglander played first line minutes today with Rogley mm. starts the game, goes out there 10 minutes in his third shift of the game, scores a goal at five on five. That is huge for him to set up into the regular season. He's already getting power play time. And that's the only thing that I don't like about Vasily Pod Colson right now, not getting any special teams time. I think that's where he plays his best hockey. Like, yeah. Don't get me wrong, Pod Colson's excellent at five on five. He's all over the ice, but why would you not want to have someone who's all over the ice killing penalties for you and being on the power play in front of the net? I don't know. Pod Colson's goal that he scored the other day, that was gorgeous. He did it right in front of the net doing a tip that went just top corner. And I don't know why they're not using this kid. I mean, they're using the 20 year olds. That young guns line is not going to get a lot of time. I think Pod Colson played a few seconds under 13 minutes today, which is nice. He's not under 10 minutes like he had in one point this year. And the other thing, before I close out this prospect saying, I'll let you talk in a minute here, Quads, but uh, the jerseys that SKA is wearing, their home jerseys, I don't know if these are like alternates or something. They're black jerseys oh, with I like a those. red that just popped, and today when they came out on the ice, 
they came out to like this huge red star above their bench. Like it was this like star that was like just above their bench. And I'm, I'm doing it with my hands here. Nobody knows what the hell I'm doing. But like it came out this big, bright red star and they came right through the middle of it. Just looked so badass. It was awesome. So I hope they wear those jerseys more because they're beautiful. Uh, and watching Pod Colson, you know, in that jersey looks good. He The only real highlight that I saw him today that I could clip um, was him blocking a shot at the very last second. The, the dude's got heart, man. I say it, I said it, I think, in an article or maybe on the show last week. But, like, Pod Colson plays like Tyler Mott. But he's a top 10. He's like he's a top 5 talent in his draft class. But he plays the game like Tyler Mott. Maybe even harder than Tyler Mott. Like, yeah. It's ridiculous. Like he got hit with two shots today when he was in front of the net. Like he he just got drilled by slap shots when he was like trying to screen the goaltender. He doesn't move out of the way. He's not shy. He's an absolute bull. This guy. Every time I watch Pod Coles, and I say this every week, I'm going to continue to say it every week. Every time I watch him, I get more excited for him becoming a Canuck because he is going to make. He's going to be an excellent NHL player. Like he's not going to come in here and score points like Pod Colson, but you're going to see him in every single game. And you're going to say like. Wow, like, why have I not seen a Canuck like this, like, ever? You, you know, like... Pedersen, right? Pedersen, is that what I said? You said Pod Colson. He's not okay. going to make an impact like Pod Colson. No, yeah, sorry, you yeah, Pod Colson, yeah, yeah. Will, yeah, he's yeah. not going to put up points like that. He's not going to score like that, but he is. he's going to play the game of hockey like every single person wants to see. Old school people are going to love him. New school people are going to love him. The stats guys are going to love him because he's ridiculous at controlling the Corsi. Like, everybody in the world is going to love Pod Coles, and his jersey is going to be flying off the shelves when he gets to Vancouver because everybody is going to love Vasily Pod Coles. And he's going to be on an ELC, like, right when the Canucks have to pay Patterson and Hughes, which yep. is really good for this team. Yeah, it's huge, absolutely. And that's the thing with Niels Huglander because he just signed. His is going to be the same kind of deal as Pod Colson. If Pod Colson ends up signing, signing at the end of this year, which I predict he should sign at the end of this year, he'll play a couple games. We won't be on the playoffs, but their contracts will be up at the same time because Huglander signed this past offseason going into this year. So he'll be, or no, maybe Huglander. No, yeah, he will be. So he'll be on the same deal um, with Pod Colson. So their contracts will be up in two more seasons after this season. So if they both people play. know. And, and I, yeah, and I project they'll both play, I think. Yeah. Hmm. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. I, I swear I could, you know. I, I love watching Pod Colson. I don't know what it is, man. And I know like sometimes I fall in love with prospects. I did this with Victor Soderstrom. I still think he's an unreal prospect. But Vasily Pod Colson is Yeah man. It's nuts. And I know you're writing a big write up on him too. So yeah, and I've been that. watching a lot of clips on him and every time Yeah, I'll you're welcome him, for those. Yeah, thanks. Every <laughs> time I watch him, it's the same thing, man. Like he's just he's bigger than Tyler Mott, but he plays like Tyler Mott. So him throwing his weight around, oh my gosh. Like Speaking of his size though, he ain't six four. Okay? No, he's not. This we have to dispel that. <laughs> the Russian website, they're not giving him Russian gas or whatever these people are calling it on <laughs> Twitter. He's didn't he didn't grow three inches since getting drafted. He's probably six foot one potentially six foot two, you know, on skates, probably six foot four. Though I don't know if like everyone was just taking pictures and flat footed with bare feet. Then he walked up with like skates on because maybe they forgot to take his picture and they measured him then. Like that's the only way of a silly pod Coles in a six foot four because he's thick. Like he could definitely be 200 pounds. Like that's what I saw their weight. They have him as if they have him at 202. He could be 202 because he is a thick boy with two C's. But like, I don't know. He ain't six four. Okay, I'll, I'll say that. Like, there's a six foot one player that's measured on the website, Marchenko. He's potentially taller than Pod Colson, and Morozov is definitely taller than Pod Colson. They have him at six foot two. So, well, when he has his first availability with Vancouver, first question from us: oh. Chris Faber, Canucks Army. Hi, Vasily. How tall are you? Yeah, that'll that'll be that'll go over great. Go through the translator. But oh, that'll speaking be great. of two of these prospects, the way I want to close this out is. 
We've been in contact with Huglander's camp. Woo! Um, I want, you know, we, we have like a thing on the show where we don't like to announce guests coming on the show in case because they it's come back to it. bite us in the you know where. It sure has, Rafi Torres. But um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, we are aiming to have Bod Colson on the show for next week. Um, we are going back to two shows. We, we took this week off because uh, starting up with school and everything is going to be tough. But we are going to get back to two shows a week starting next week and. We could be starting off next week with Huglander. If not, it'll be out on the next weekend's episode. We are going to get this interview done. Um, but, man, I'm, I'm excited to chat with him. I'm excited to, to see if his English has improved. Because for those who don't know, if you're a new listener to the show, we did have a silly Pod Colson on last year. Well, we didn't. Huglander, not Pod Colson. Oh, man, yeah. I'm losing my mind. It's getting hot in the studio. But, yeah, we had, uh, we had Niels Huglander um, on the show before you came on, actually. Before yep. you came on. Right before the World Juniors last year. Had a good chat with him. And uh, I think I remember asking him, do you have any tricks up your sleeve for this tournament? And he says, I think I have a couple. And what does he do? The he very first game, goal. he does oh. a ridiculous lacrosse goal. Ask him if he dedicated that one to you. Be like, did you uh, did you think about our conversation? <laughs> like, when you pointed up there, was that toward me? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Potentially. He probably was. He's like, what up, Canada? I just did that. <laughs> but uh, the other, I've, I'll finish my prospect report with this boat, Huglander. Last year when I was supposed to talk to him, like, I sent him a text. And I was like, whenever you're ready to go, I'm good to go. Um, and they're nine hours ahead, right? So this could have been, you know, I was ready for him at nine in the morning. So I was up at midnight and then I set an alarm every hour until noon. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, get a little bit of sleep. And then hopefully like if I get a text from him, I don't want him to wait more than an hour. Like I may want to make sure that I get this interview. This is huge talking to Niels Huglander. So I woke up every single hour, like 1am, 2am, 3am, all the way up till 9am and 10am. I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I got barely any sleep anyways. Um, and then finally he, he texted me, I think it was like 11 o'clock our time. So I was like, last time I interviewed Niels Huglander, I was probably on like an hour and a half of sleep. So I'm hoping that this time is a little bit better and I hope we can get a time set. We're going to have to set a time because we have to come here to do it. Yeah, so. exactly. I'm not sleeping in this room. It's so hot in here. I'm sweating. Oh, me too. Yeah. Let's, let's wrap this up. All right. Yeah. I went off for prospects. So you you, you can wrap. You can wrap. All right. Well, thank you uh, for tuning in episode 101. Goaltending 101, Kevin Woodley. Big shout out to him for coming on the show. Uh, you know, I can't wait to listen to the interview. I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> I heard the very last little bit. But for David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees. 
supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.